your temple, your chapter 1. Uh, last week we did record the sermon uh, on audio, but also the video. But the audio, the audio on the video didn't work. So I'm, I'm checking... There's something weird going on. I don't know what it is. Anyway, <laughs> y'all can hear me. You're here. We're going to focus on that. Anyway, um, we're looking at Exodus, this wonderful book, God's story of deliverance, of redemption of His people. And um, before we read, starting with chapter 1, verse 15, let's pray. Lord God, You are mighty and you are mighty to save we thank you for all the ways we've been reminded of that through our service and the call to worship and the in the songs we've sung you are our good father you are the good shepherd you are our great deliverer you hear us even when we feel like you don't see us and don't know what's going on you are aware and you um, you take care of your people Lord, help us to see that more clearly. Help us to rejoice in this good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 1, verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife, to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse in the house from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the girl went and called 
the, mother's, the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, have you ever heard of a thing called decision paralysis? Decision paralysis? Have you ever... Y'all, anybody in here struggle with that? Or know someone who does? If you're married, chances are one of you does, and the other one is very well aware of it. Uh, making decisions is hard, and I, you know, I sometimes struggle to decide. And really what it is, I've realized, is that most of what it is, I, I want to make sure if I do something, if I'm, I've talked to you about struggles of buying a car or buying a house or you know, even you know, taking a call as a pastor or taking a job. We can all relate to that. I want to make sure that the circumstances are just right. Just right. Is this, is, you know, kind of, how's the wind blowing? Is it going in the right direction? Is this, is this the way I want to go? Is, 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 is there, are there obvious signs that not only is this going to be good for us, but is it is going to go well? And I can kind of forecast that I've got like a, you know, at least a 90% chance that all is going to go well. And I can, you know, take all the factors and write them down in my notebook and pros and cons. And again, it's not bad to do that. But, you know, I spend a lot of time making sure before I do something that the circumstances are right, that things line up, and it's going to go, probably going to go the way I want. That this is the right time, the right place, the right decision for this time. And when I can't figure that out, I don't want to decide. You know, I've, t- I showed, I've told you before, I, I, that I, it took me a while. It took me six weeks. That's not very long in the scheme of things, but it took me a good six weeks for the Lord to finally put on my heart to, to decide to come and try this RUF thing at Jacksonville State. But a lot of the time I was sitting there going, is this... Do I, is this the right time? Does this campus need a, an RUF? Are there even any Presbyterians there? No. Are there really not? There were four at the time. Seriously. And uh, are there people, do I know people with money in East Alabama? No, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. Do I know people with money? Yeah, some of y'all, not, no, I didn't. And, and so, I, you know, do I, am I connect, do I have, do people in, where I live in central Mississippi care about what's going on in East Alabama? I said, well, we send money to Belize and Kenya. Maybe we'll do that, you know. But I was trying to figure out, is it going to work? And finally, the Lord just, I just like, you know what? If God's going to do it, He's going to do it. There cannot be a worse time <laughs> for God's deliverer to show up in Egypt. And that just blows me away. There is nothing that would indicate this is a good time for deliverance. This is a good time for a redeemer to be born. And yet, that's exactly when God does it. You, you, you would have, it would have taken all, even if you're the worst at making decisions, if it was up to you, it would have taken you less than a second <laughs> to decide, 
this isn't a good time. But that's when God moves and answers the cries of His people. Uh, the three things I want us to see is that, first of all, this, all this happens under Satan's relentless attack. That's, what, that's the circumstance that's going on. You know, how's it going? Oh, how's, it, how's the wind blowing? It's not, it's not good. The enemy is at work and he is relentless. So first we see Satan's relentless attack. And then the second thing, in the midst of that, we're going to see Moses' miraculous rescue. And third and finally, Israel's promised redeemer. So first, again, everything is pointing no. This is not... This cannot happen, it should not happen, it will not happen, and yet it does. What's going on? Well, we see back, going back, again, this is a continuation of the story of Genesis. We can't understand Exodus without understanding Genesis 3.15 and this enmity between the, the serpent and the seed of the woman. The seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman, this is the conflict of the Bible. And we see Pharaoh uh, being used by Satan. He's the seed of the devil, the seed of Satan, working, trying to destroy this promise, destroy God's people. We saw it in the first sermon, the first section of chapter 1. There is slavery. There is, there is toil and tribulation and lack of freedom for God's people. Yet, what does God do? They continue to multiply. Then we come to the story and we see Pharaoh turning it up. Turning up the heat. And he takes and he sp- speaks to the midwives, not Egyptian midwives, but Hebrew midwives, uh, Israelites. And we know that from their name. Their name is, 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 uh, is Hebrew. We have um, Pua and Shifra. And these are, why just these two? Well, it's more than likely these are the kind of chief midwives. There's more. There's, there's got to be more than two midwives. That's a lot of work. You know, if you're in the medical field, you're going. That's a lot. There's like two, like a million people. You said that's a lot. Just two. No, but they're probably the the heads of that. And they go, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to have some population control. We're going to kill all the male children. Why? Why not all of them? Why not all the the children? Well, so that then there'll only be women left. We've eliminated the men, the those who would be future men and can be soldiers and fight against Egypt, but also we're going to make it so that the Hebrew women intermarry and we just kind of breed them out and take them in to be uh, Egyptian. That was, the, that was the desire. So when slavery didn't work, now we try, he asked, to eliminate the boys, the men, by the hands of the Hebrew midwives. And how does that go? They hear the call of Pharaoh, but they fear God more. And, you know, a fear, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Currid, he says this very well. He had a really good, concise definition of this. It's reverence that leads to obedience. They, 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 they recognized as, as good Israelites that the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had more power than Pharaoh. They knew of his goodness. They knew of his commands. They, they were faithful to their people and they refused to do this. Now some people go, well, didn't they lie? Wasn't that a sin? <laughs> I, you know, there's, there's different debate on it, you know. 
Surely killing these children would be a worse sin. But I'm convinced that they, like Rahab, they didn't sin in this. They were obeying God. They were, they were not obeying uh, a, a governing authority that commanded them to sin. And they resisted. And, and, and recognized there could be real life consequences for that. That they could lose their life for, for, for obeying God. But they, they feared Him who not only could destroy the, the body, but could also destroy the soul. They feared Him more. They obeyed God. And, and God was faithful. It's, it's almost kind of humorous. Well, just... Hebrew women are just better. They're better at giving birth. <laughs> and, Hebrew, and Pharaoh's like, okay. And you know, I'll let you know... Some people don't want medical details, you know. I've tried try to tell, you know, you ever try to tell somebody, it's like, well, you know, so-and-so, they're dilated. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to, I think Pharaoh is one of those guys. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know any details. I believe you. They get, okay, it's more vigorous. I don't, nope, that's all I need. Okay, and, and, and he believed them. And, uh, and, and they kept being prosperous. Not only that, the midwives who, you kind of get the idea that they do this for a living because they're not married and they're, they don't have children. He blesses them with families. So families grow. In the midst of this population control, this desire to, 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 to stop this this uh, these people from outnumbering the Egyptians, the midwives obey the Lord and spare these sons. And then the seed of Satan, Pharaoh, ups Annie again. From population control through killing of the males to, to then just all-out genocide. Then he tells all Egyptians, anytime you see a son born to the Hebrews, throw him into the river. What a horrible, horrible situation. And this, this, this onslaught of attack of Satan, this is when God decides to send help. Into these circumstances, a deliverer, a redeemer will be born. That brings us to our second point, Moses' miraculous rescue. Um, and if, if you were here, some of you know, before, we do, before the service, we have small groups that, that meet, and our faith conversations group, they kind of, kind of start, they read the passage I'm about to preach, and there's a few questions. And, and so I asked them, I said, to make a list of all the reversals. This is just a, I mean, this is an amazing story, isn't it? And how every intention of Pharaoh, the instrument of Satan, is completely reversed. It's almost humorous when you think about it. It's amazing. First of all, you see, as you read this, that I'm going to, he says, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to bring about the end of this people by killing the sons. And what is he, what, and, and what's the means? Again, God's the deliverer, but what's the means? It's the daughters. It's the daughters of Israel that stand up. It's the midwives 
that say no and believe and show leadership. It's Jochebed, it's the mother of Moses who goes, I, I'm, I'm going to make a I'm going to make hopefully a way for my son to survive. I'm not going to I'm going to preserve him as long as I can and then I'm going to do what I can to 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 assure if I can, just whatever I can do to to save my baby a little bit longer. And then it's Miriam his sister who follows and has the boldness to approach who the daughter of Pharaoh, the, the one who ordered the slaughter of all these sons. And it's the daughters that combat Pharaoh. Isn't that cool? Girl power, right? Right? It's still all throughout the Scripture, right? We're all co-heirs. There's no, we made us in His image, male and female. There's a, but it's the women, it's the daughters that God uses. What's another reversal that's in this passage? Well, think about it. Who, who, who is the last person that you would ever think would show compassion to a Hebrew child? A blood relative of Pharaoh. Now, by the way, uh, this was not his only daughter. If this is Ramses II, and again, I don't just know, I've read commentaries, okay? If this is, if the timing works out, he had like a hundred kids with a bunch of different concubines. This is one of his 70 daughters, okay? This isn't the daughter, but it's one. And you would think the last person, as Miriam is watching the basket float along, that she had to be thinking, oh no. Oh no. Because you know, when, when you read that, you know, imagine, imagine watching the cinema of this. Imagine the movie. She's watching it. Tears comes into the reeds. Who shows up? One of the daughters of Pharaoh and her entourage. She sees the basket. She's got, you know, this is when the music would rise. It would be that, that you know, that in that... Like it's about to, it's about to go down. It's, something awful is about to happen. She sees it and she goes, "Here, look!" And instead of hurling that baby out of the basket, she pities him. <laughs> wow! And it's Pharaoh's own daughter that spares the life of Israel's deliverer. This great reversal. Complete reversal. Daughters saving the sons. Pharaoh's daughter saving Moses. And then the instrument of the salvation. What are they commanded to do? What, what are they supposed to do with these babies? Throw them into the Nile. The Nile was a, you know, represented a god to Egypt. And it was as though, I'm going to throw you into this, and by this water you'll be, you'll be put to death. This, this is the wrath of Pharaoh brought about through the waters of judgment of Pharaoh onto Moses. And what happens is what? He's put into that water of judgment and comes out safe on the other side. She follows the letter of the law, if you will, but he passes through unscathed. And he's drawn out safe and secure. And not only saved, 
but put right back into the arms of his mother. And not only that, mama gets paid. <laughs> you ever read that as a mom going, we have a lot of moms who stay at home and work. They're like, I wish I got paid. I mean, like, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> you know, she, she got to, okay, here's your baby, and you're going to get paid to do what you're going to do anyway. God, wow, God's good. You know, Jochebed and, and, and Amram, that's, that's, that's mother and father. We see that in, verse, in chapter 6. He lists the, the names. We don't have the names here but in this chapter. But, wow, not only he gets to grow up in this Hebrew home. And what does that mean? That means he's going to learn about the God, his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who's made a promise Instead of denial being the means of judgment, it's a means, in a, in a strange sense, a means of his salvation, his being saved from judgment. And then, not only that, through this passing through the waters into, into Pharaoh's daughter's arms, he gets to grow up with his mother, but then he gets to grow up in the house of Pharaoh. And learn all the things that a slave wouldn't get to learn. And spend his time, what? Being prepared. It's amazing. All that Pharaoh did, all that Satan ultimately does to bring about the end of God's promise, the end of God's people, to prevent the Redeemer, the Deliverer from coming, it actually all serves to bring him about. I asked the class, you know, kind of the icebreaker question was, what's your favorite, you know, underdog story when uh, victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat story? You know, there's so many books, so many movies where the hero is like, yeah, he's not going to make it. <laughs> and then at the last minute, it happens. You know, if it's Lord of the Rings... Lord of the Rings nerds in here? Tolkien nerds? Yeah, okay, anyway. But there's that, you know, there's open range, my favorite western, I think, you know. These two guys, cowpokes, going to face down this, these hired gunmen and this land baron, and they make it, you know. And you're kind of prepared to go, they're going to probably, you know, buy it, and, you know, they're probably not going to make it, but they're doing the right thing, you know. And then they make it, and you're like, whoa, okay. Okay, this is the ultimate, right? We're almost the ultimate. But this is a miraculous rescue. Not only is, is Moses delivered from, from, from the, the, the object of wrath, kept safe and drawn out, drawn out by the daughter of his enemy, but, but raised in a Hebrew household and then raised in Pharaoh's house to be prepared to be the leader that God's people need. A miraculous Rescue in the most horrible of circumstances. But if we were, if we knew our Bible well, if we if we understood the promises, we would not expect anything else, right? Because what does he say? He says in Genesis fifteen that there would be one who would come from the line of Abraham, who would who would redeem them. He says in in, in Genesis forty six and fifteen that that this slavery would end and he would bring them out. 
if they had, if you'd heard God's word, and if you were, if you had believed it and were cherishing it, then you would be, you'd be getting ready for such an event as this. But you know what? How many Israelites were prepared to leave? How many Israelites you think were? Hey, we just got a hundred more years. We got eighty more years. That's it. 80 more years, because I've been watching the calendar. I'm counting down. God told Abraham, He told us, He told Jacob, it's going to be 400 years. And so, alright, are we counting down? Hey, we're about to leave, everybody. Was anybody doing that? Beginning of your bulletin, it said that, you know, his big mistake, Pharaoh's mistake, was not reckoning in his designs, not... Pharaoh left out the God of the Hebrews out of his reckoning. That was a big mistake. And look, here's the thing. It can be ours too. It can be ours too. And don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's going to be times, just like we read in the this, in this psalm this morning, in the, in the call to worship, times when we are overwhelmed, times when we are you know, figuratively living in a besieged city, when there's enemies all around us, when we feel like everything is falling apart and we cry out and we feel hopeless. Now, I just want to tell you, that's okay. That's okay. That's, you. that's God helping you feel your need and feel your weakness. He's going to do that. Why? Because He loves you. But the thing is, you have to remember, there is someone to cry out to. And there's someone that's sovereign, ruling and reigning over all these things. And it's not all up to you and me to figure out the circumstances and see where the wind's blowing and figure it all out. God actually works in and through the worst of circumstances and can do miraculous things through the hard things. And again, does this sound kind of a little bit like last week? Well, if it does, good. (laughs) Because this is exactly the same lesson in some ways. But here it's personal. Think about these midwives. We've got names. We've got names this time. We got Pua and we got Shafira. We got we got the daughter of Pharaoh. We have we have we have Moses and we have we see it in an individual individual sense of how God is mindful of everyone and mindful of individuals at the same time. He's working his big plan and he's working specifically in individual lives. He's doing that all the time. We often forget that, don't we? That we don't reckon on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be working. But I want to encourage you, he is. I encourage you not for my own just experience. I do have experiences of that. Y'all have experiences of that. Let's, keep, let's share those experiences with each other. Let's encourage each other by saying, talking about how when everything seems to be going wrong, we saw God act. But we have that, but also more than that, we have His Word that tells us this is what He does. This is who He is. Because it's God's Word that helps us see the big picture. Not only what's going on here, but if we're, if we're aware of His Word, not only would we anticipate God to do amazing things because He's promised in Genesis 15 and 46, we also would anticipate it as we read the description of what Jochebed does. She takes and makes a little, and it says, a basket is really ark. <laughs> it's an ark. That's the same word. It's the only other time that word's used. 
Besides, when, when Noah, and he, she covers it with bitumen and pitch, was exactly what do they do with that gopher wood? They covered it with pitch. And, the waters of, there were, and then what happened? Waters of judgment came. And then what happened to, to Noah and his family as the whole world, or much of it, or I don't know, I don't want to get into that debate, was flooded. I believe in a world, world flood. Anyway, and, and what happened? They were kept safe. That they were spared the wrath, the waters of wrath. And when you, if you knew the, knew your Bible, you know Genesis, you read that, you go, ooh, something cool's about to happen. <laughs> we have another ark and more pitch and more water. I, I bet he's going to make it. <laughs> it looks back to God's previous, previous faithfulness and goodness and mercy and covenant faithfulness. It also looks forward. If we think ahead to what happens, we see that Moses was not cast into the water, but was set in an ark safely among the reeds of the Nile. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen soon in the Exodus? The Egyptians will be cast into the waters, and we call it the Red Sea, but the word also can be translated the Reed Sea. Ooh. <laughs> Another great reversal. Moses, the waters, set in the waters by the reeds, and he's safe. The Egyptians cast, well, the waters kind of were cast on them. Anyway, <laughs> and, they are, and their, their destruction is by the waters of the Red or Reed Sea. Can anything... Or anyone separate us from the love, from the covenant faithfulness of Christ? What's the answer? This is the interactive part. No! No! Will the gates of hell prevail against the onslaught of Christ's church? No. Can God do good? Can God bless His people in the darkest of circumstances? That's exactly what God did a little over 2,000 years ago, isn't it? When we look at this story, it not only points back to Noah, points to the, to, the, to, the, to the imminent deliverance of God's people from Egypt, it looks forward to the ultimate Redeemer. Jesus is born into a situation almost identical to this, isn't He? The King has said, all the sons... Must, be, must die. And in the worst of circumstances, and when, they're, uh, have no, when they're under the control of the Romans, in a sense enslaved to a foreign government, when there has been an order of death to all the, 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 young, the young boys, Jesus is born. The ruler of both stories destroys Hebrew infants in order to prevent the coming of a deliverer, a coming of a redeemer. Satan is still at work trying to thwart God's plan of redemption, and yet both escape. Moses, in the most unlikely of scenarios, finds safety in the house of Pharaoh. And Jesus finds safety where? In Egypt. And you see that in Matthew 
I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that I want you to be in awe of these reversals, of these great reversals, in awe of God working in and in spite of all the darkness and the circumstances that would that would just make you go, there's no way this can happen. There's no way we can make it through. There's no way this is, we can be fruitful. There's no way God can bless. There's no way His promises can come about. And He picks the worst moment to come through in a miraculous way to show you that nothing can ever thwart His plan. Nothing can undo His love for us, His people. Is it really dark right now for you? Is it really hard right now for you? God works in those times. God redeems and rescues in those times. God is faithful in those times. And He will be to the end. Let's pray. Gracious God, We thank You for Your good Word. We thank You that You are such a God of power and might and faithfulness. Lord, in our worst moments, use us as instruments of grace. In our hardest moments, do amazing things. Show us Your face. Show us Your glory. Show us Your your mercy and 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 Your compassion. Lord, help us to recount to one another our experiences of just that and help us to to read this with fresh eyes where we are amazed at your goodness and power and grace. Um, Encourage us in our darkness now. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for entering into the darkness of our sin and our shame and the brokenness of the world and facing the darkness head on. And Lord, may this meal we are about to partake, these outward signs and seals, drive home the inward spiritual reality that we have been purchased, redeemed, delivered, set free from slavery to sin, from the wrath that's due to it. You have set us free. You came in the darkest hour and you did the work of redemption. You did it for your people. You did it for for us individually. Drive that home through this meal that we partake together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.